Good morning. My privilege to bring my, today's scripture reading. I'll be uh, reading the four verses in Spanish first and then in English. This one's coming from Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Malachias 3, 1 a 4. El Señor Todopoderoso responde, Yo estoy por enviar en mi mensajero para que prepare el camino delante de mí. De pronto vendrá a su, tu, a su templo el Señor a quien ustedes buscan. Vendrá el mensajero de pacto en que ustedes se complacen. Pero ¿quién podrá soportar el día de su venida? ¿Quién podrá mantenerse el, el pie, en pie cuando Él aparezca? Porque será como fuego de fundidor o lejía de lavandero. Se sentará como fundidor y purificador de plata. Purificará a los levitas y los refinará como se refinan el oro y la plata. Entonces traerán al Señor ofrendas conforme a la justicia. Y las ofrendas de Judá y Jerusalén serán aceptables al Señor como en tiempos antiguos, como en de años pasados. Malachi 3, 1 through 4. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messengers of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. One of the traditional themes of the Advent season, something we've been thinking about during this service, is the theme of preparation. During this time of year, we often think about how the people of Israel prepared for centuries for the coming of the Messiah. And then we also remind ourselves that we too need to be preparing for when the Messiah comes again. We need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. So with that thought in mind, as we look at this passage in Malachi, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to talk about two key ways that the Lord helps to prepare us for the return of His Son. Two key ways. Now, these are not the only ways God prepares us. There's a lot that could be said on this subject, but these are two essential ways God works in the lives of His people so that we are ready when Jesus comes back again. Two ways He prepares us. And the one is that God uses people. God uses other people to speak into our lives, to speak truths that, that keep us close to God, that, that draw us back to God, that remind us of God's promises, truths that maybe soften our hearts to the Lord. God uses people. And you, you, you see this at, at the first coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets predicted that before the Messiah would appear to Israel, first... God would send a person, a person to prepare the way. 
to get the people ready. Isaiah chapter 40 refers to this person. It says, this person will be like a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi chapter 4 said that this person, in a certain sense, would be like Elijah, turning the hearts of the parents to their children and turning the hearts of the children to their parents. And the passage that we're looking at today in Malachi 3 verse 1, God said, I will send my messenger. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, Jesus quoted that verse, Malachi 3 verse 1. He quoted that verse and he said, that verse is talking about John, John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist? All right, we all have. You, you know, if you've, if you've read the Gospels, that God sent this preacher named John to get the people of Israel ready for the ministry of Christ. Luke chapter 1 says that John was to, quote, go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So John, he preached this, this message of, of repentance and forgiveness and restoration and renewal. Why? So that the people would be ready for Jesus. Now, when I know that, um, when I know that someone's going to come over to my house, are you like me? When I know that somebody's going to come over, I usually try to do a little bit of cleaning before they arrive, right? I, I don't want a, a visitor to show up and find, you know, the toilet bowl's dirty or the kitchen sink full of dishes or maybe a stack of old newspapers on, on the dining room table. I, if, if, listen, if a guest is coming to my home, I want them to enter into a home that is more or less clean, right? And that was kind of the focus of, of, of John's ministry. He was, he was just, he was basically telling the people, he's saying, listen, it's time for some housekeeping. It's time to clean up. The Messiah is coming. He's almost here. Repent of your sins. Come back to the Lord. That was his message. So if you think about it, how, how did God prepare his people for the first advent, for the first coming of the Messiah? Well, he did it through a person. He used just an ordinary man. And if you think about it, that is kind of surprising, right? I mean, there's a number of ways God could have conceivably prepared his people for the arrival of Jesus. He could have sent an angel to tell them. He could have perhaps placed some kind of cosmic sign in the heavens. Maybe God could have caused some, you know, holy book to descend from the skies, embossed in gold, something like that. But God said, no, no, I'm just going to use a man, normal guy, ordinary man. And if you've, if you've studied scriptures and if you've walked with Christ for a while, you know that is what God typically does, doesn't he? God uses people to prepare us for the advent, the coming of his son. That's why God puts Christian in, Christians in churches. Why is it so important that we be involved in church? Well, one, one reason, I'll tell you why, is because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon, and, and God helps us to be ready for, for his return. By, by doing what? By placing us in community with other believers, just ordinary men and women, ordinary boys and girls, whom God uses to keep us close to himself. I wonder if, if you've ever had another Christian encourage you when you were down. Anybody experience that? 
Or if you've ever had, had another Christian um, perhaps challenge you when you were beginning to drift. Or have you ever had another Christian counsel you when you were confused? Or have you ever had another believer pray for you when you really needed prayer? If you've ever experienced any of those things, listen, you have experienced one of the key ways God prepares us, gets us ready for the return of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this. Some of you know these verses. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That last, that last phrase of those verses really intrigues me. All the more as you see the day approaching. Isn't that interesting? Apparently, uh, to, to, the, the, uh, to the, the author of Hebrews felt that the closer we get to the date of Christ's return, the more important it will be for us to stay in contact with other believers. He says, don't, don't give up meeting together. Don't fall into that habit. People fall into that habit of, of, of not gathering with other Christians. Encourage one another. Spur each other on toward love and good deeds. And he says, here's why. You need to do this all the more as the day of his return approaches. So this is important for us to remember, isn't it? Um, especially during this time of COVID, this has been tough, right? We're all a little bit cut off. We're all a little bit isolated Church attendance across the nation is just in a steady state of decline. One recent uh, study found that 30, only 35% of Americans believe that attending worship services is, quote, an essential part of being a Christian. In other words, that the vast majority of the people in our culture say, oh, you can be a Christian, you don't have to go to church. Listen, the culture is telling you that, that to follow Christ you really don't need other people. And if you would just let me be blunt about it, let me tell you, that is a lie. You need other people. I need other people. We, we need this. And, and, and here's, here's the interesting thing. They don't have to be perfect people, do they? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was not a perfect guy. In fact, there was a lot about him. Have you read about John the Baptist? A lot about him that we would just consider, even the people back then, considered kind of weird. This guy out in the wilderness all by himself, wearing, what did he wear? Some kind of camel, camel skin clothing, eating locusts and wild honey. Even people back then thought that's strange. And yet, this was the man God said, I'm going to use that guy, that oddball over there, to get my people ready for my son. God uses people. Luke chapter 7, it's interesting. Luke 7 tells us that during the days of Christ, those individuals who were too proud to listen to John, I'm not going to listen to a guy like that. It says that when Jesus came, they did not receive him. It says, in fact, Luke says they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they wouldn't respond to this man. But it says that those, Luke says, those people who were humble enough to, to let somebody like John speak into their life, it says when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right. One Christian author wrote this, God, God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, He invites us into a spiritual family a family of misfits and outcasts. 
He welcomes us into a home, a home that is rarely what we want, yet exactly what we need. So one question for all of us, especially those, I'm looking at the camera, those that might be live streaming right now, it's important for you too. Here's, here's the question. If Jesus comes back in this coming new year, 2022, will, will, you, have been, will you have been connected enough with other Christians for God to be getting you ready? Will, will you be? This is important. One of the ways God prepares us is through, through people. The second way you see in Malachi that God prepares us for the advent of His Son is through pain. Pain. Listen, listen to what Malachi the prophet says about the Messiah, starting in the middle of verse 2. He says, He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. Now, a little context. A major problem during the time of the prophet Malachi was that Israel's worship was not pleasing to the Lord. The people were worshiping, but not in a pleasing way. The, the people were bringing defective animals to the temple for their sacrifices. The priests and the Levites were being very careless in, in their jobs. It was a major problem. And so Malachi says, listen, when the Messiah comes, he's going to solve this problem. When the Messiah comes, he's going to purify our worship, purify us. And the question is, how will the Messiah do this? And Malachi says, he will purify us the same way that fire purifies silver or gold. All right? Now, um, something I learned on YouTube this week is that in modern refineries, Gold is heated in crucibles to over 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is hot, right? And, and the reason this precious metal is exposed to this, this intense heat is because the heat burns out of the metal everything that is not gold. Everything that is not pure is, is purged from the metal, and, and, and the value of that gold in, in increases dramatically. Now, some of you know 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 tells us that God does that with us. God, God uses hardship and suffering and disappointment and failure in that very same way to purify us. 1 Peter 1, 7 says, trials come, trials come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's saying that God uses pain in our lives to prepare us for the coming of His Son. He uses people and He uses pain. Now, that does not sound like good news, does it? <laughs> not to me. I don't like pain. I don't like sorrow. But let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you one reason why this is. This is good news. Christian, listen. If right now you are going through a time of sorrow or loss or discouragement or heartbreak, listen. This does not mean that God is displeased with you. Hear me. 
Your sorrow does not mean that God has rejected you. Hebrews, have you heard this verse? Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one He loves. The one He loves. Listen, no goldsmith, no goldsmith would ever waste his time throwing a, an old lump of coal into the crucible to refine it. Why, what, what good would that possibly do? There's nothing worth refining there. No, listen. The refiner's fire is reserved for precious metals only. And so if the refiner has placed you in, in, into the fire right now, it's not because he despises you. If the refiner has placed you into the fire, it is because in his eyes you are gold. All right? In his eyes you are precious. And we don't understand why he brings the pain that he does. We never enjoy it. I'm not saying you should. But it's not a sign of his disapproval. It's a sign that he is at work. One Christian author I admire, Jerry Bridges, wrote this. He said, every adversity, every adversity that comes across our path, whether large or small, is intended to help us grow in some way. If it were not beneficial, God would not allow it or send it. Lamentations 3 says, He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. God does not delight in our suffering. He brings only that which is necessary, but He does not shrink from bringing that which will help us grow. Now, there's one of the uh, Christmas carols that we, we, I think we probably all know this one is Away in the Manger, right? Away in the Manger. It has one line that I, don't, I really don't like very much, to be honest, all right? But it has one line in it that I absolutely love. So the line I don't like in Away in the Manger, it says, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Oh, come on. What kind of baby doesn't cry when a cow wakes them up, all right? That, that, that line, it's almost a denial of the incarnation. He was a real human baby, and real babies cry when they get woken up. So I don't like that line, okay? But the line I love, I love this line. It's the very last line of Away in the Manger. Bless all thy dear children Bless all the dear children with thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Guys, God is fitting us for heaven. God is shaping us for eternity, for eternal glory. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? Um, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God, God is fitting us for heaven, just like a refiner's fire, purifying us, increasing our value, never wasting a second or a moment of pain, using us it for our glory. So I wonder if... if uh, I wonder if there's anything in your life that God just wants to purify from you. Maybe, uh, maybe there's just kind of a, 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 a cynicism that you fall into every now and then, kind of a, a hardness, a jadedness that keeps, keeps you from just rejoicing in the simple beauty of life. Or, or maybe, maybe there's a, a tendency towards self-pity. If you are challenged, you automatically begin to pout and get defensive and feel sorry for yourself. May, maybe um, 
there's this slavish fear of disapproval. That, that saying, what will people think that just holds you under control? Maybe whatever it might be. If there's something in you that needs to be purified, you know what, God, God is looking at you and he's saying, you know what, that's got to go. That's, that is not gold. That's not you. You are gold. And that's not gold. And that needs to be, that needs to be removed. And if it, listen, if that's the case, that is the case for all of us. A key way God will purify you is, uh, is suffering. And the good news, all right, the good, the good news for the Christian, and by Christian, I just mean people who are trusting Jesus for, for their salvation. Are you, are you trusting Jesus? If not, you could start today, you know. But for, the good news for the Christian is, listen, any kind of fire that God brings into your life, it is not the fire of judgment. Jesus on the cross already took the fire of judgment. Any fire the Father brings into your life, it is a refiner's fire. It's, it's not purposeless. He's, he's using it to make you pure. So let me close with one thing. I found, this was, I found this on the Internet. An anonymous Christian wrote this. Here's what he or she said. For various reasons, this past year has been the most painful year of my life. Some of you could have written that. For various reasons, this past year has been the most painful year of my life. I spend a lot of time thinking about all that happened this year, and as crazy as this might sound, I finally come to the place where as, as much as my family and I suffered, I look back on the way God used our desperation to make us more dependent on Him, and I am deeply grateful. In fact, I told a friend the other day, I wouldn't trade one desperate, difficult day for all the dollars in the world, and I am serious. And then this person wrote, pain sharpens us. It matures us. It gives us clear eyesight. Pain transforms us like nothing else can. It turns us into solid people. They wrote, pain is the second best thing because it leads us to the first best thing, God. For it's only when we come to the end of ourselves that we come to the beginning of God. And it's only when we come to the beginning of God that we come to the beginning of life. Now, you may not be in a place right now where you're ready to write something like that. I don't think that, you know, initially when we're going through a trial, it might be hard to say, I'm grateful for this. I'm learning from this. It takes some time. But Christian, God is with you in the fire, and He'll bring you there. He'll bring you there. So uh, I don't know who this applies to, but if you're going through a hard time today, my brother, my sister, God is not mad at you. God has not abandoned you. God is not disappointed with you. The Messiah is the refiner's fire. So we want to be ready. He's coming. He's coming soon. And I, I just want to ask you, will you let God use people in your life? Will you let Him use you in other people's lives? Get, one of the ways He prepares us is through each other, right? And will you let God use whatever pain He brings? It's going to come one way or the other, right? Will you let Him use that to purify your faith?
He loves you. Let's pray together. We ask, Lord God, that you would take your word today in, how, in whatever way you want to speak to us, that you would speak faith. You would remind us that you are with us, that you placed people in our life, that you want to be there, that you placed trials in our lives, that you have planned to, to draw us closer to you. May your word and your plan and your people accomplish your good purpose for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.